And so I learned, while researching this book, that Martin Van Buren was a man of great contradictions, a lucky man whose presidency was hindered by a series of misfortunes, a founder of the Democratic Party who later ran for president as a third party candidate, and, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I signed your first editions of my book, Martin Van Buren, An American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes? Why was he called Old Kinderhook? Because he was born in Kinderhook, New York, and he was old. So if he was born in Greenville instead, there'd be self-help books called I'm OG, you're OG? I doubt it. Had he grown up in Greenville, he most likely wouldn't have entered politics. Thus, there wouldn't be a Democratic Party, and self-help books would be unnecessary. Are there any more questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today's episode, President number eight, Martin Van Buren. What you are about to hear in this podcast is a mashup. Partly, sketch comedy in a radio comedy vein, and partially, discussions about presidents and history and how that changes. The folks you'll be hearing are DB Comedy, a political sketch comedy company that's been working in Chicago since 2006, where actors, writers, producers, and directors, along with actual real-life historians, and experts in all things presidential. Thanks for downloading. Hope you like it. Okay, so yes, so actually, yes, so we um, left off by talking about, well, arguably one of the more consequential presidents in the entire uh, canon of presidents, which would be Andrew Jackson, and with that, we start to ease into a whole series of maybe not quite as consequential presidents, no offense to Jackson and no offense to probably Abe Lincoln, who's sort of the bookend on that. But, uh, you know, we, there's a journey that we go to from Jackson to Lincoln, and it starts with um, a man who I think we all agree may have had the best mutton chops of any president, of any political figure in any of any time and uh, outside of Neil Young, and that would have I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Ch- Chester A. Arthur had some pretty rocking facial hair. Facial hair, yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, J- Joe, I would like to quibble with you. Uh-huh. I would like to quibble with Joe that Martin Van Buren is anything but an inconsequential president because he gave us the expression "okay." <laughs> More there or less, uh-huh. and that and that may be that may be English's most enduring contribution to all languages on the face of the earth. So, <laughs> kudos for you, old Kinderhook. You are possibly our most culturally important president, <laughs> if nothing else. As as a side note on that, I had a friend in the Boy Scout who used to say "old Kinderhook" instead of "okay," and he got hit so many times for that. I was going to say, he sounds like an obnoxious person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, for those of you listening and thinking that's a slightly different voice than the voice we've been voices we've been hearing, uh, we have a new presidential person who knows things about presidents. Uh, uh, Tommy, would you like to introduce yourself to the DB Comedy Podcast community? Yes. Yes, hello, DB Podcast Comedy community. I'm Tommy Spears. Uh, I'm a comedian and writer who lives and works here in Chicago, although we could be literally anywhere during quarantine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's nice depending to be- on when this is released. <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, depending on when this is released, hello from the post-quarantine world or, you know, greetings to yeah, our to new insectoid yeah. overlords. And it may be time for you to shave your toes. Um, <laughs> So, 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 Tommy, Thomas, Mr. Spears, Dr. Spears, however you wish to be addressed, uh, as we were saying. I call the doctor, but maybe I can't. Ah, okay. So, as we said, so Martin Van Buren, um, the man that came after Andrew Jackson, uh, and whatever else you can say about Andrew Jackson, he did an awful lot for, he did an awful lot with the country, for the country, to the country. And also kind of did a lot with and for and sort of helped to set up, in more ways than one, Martin Van Buren himself. What about old Kinderhook? What can you tell us to get us started? What's your favorite Who, fact? me? Yeah. Boy, okay, my favorite fact of all. Well, I sort of love the fact that, you know, I think of like 1837, he comes in. And it seems like we're kind of a ways into the country, but he's still speaking Dutch. And I feel like at that time, you know, the country is so close to its roots. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He might still become Dutch later. We're not sold on America. <laughs> but uh, no, I probably have to talk about, I, I love that he rose. He was sort of inconsequential to Jackson until the Petticoat Affair, which seems like a very un-Jacksonian thing for that to like have worked out that way. I don't know, just because it's such like, it's all social intrigue and like sort of insider Washington stuff. And it only admittedly like Van Buren rises because he basically also thinks that it's very silly, but I still think it's kind of funny that he was not considered like terribly consequential before that. I think he was, well, no, that's not true. He was what, Secretary of State? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, let's, been, mm-hmm. go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry, he'd been governor of New York. Let's see what his exact TV. <laughs> well, while we're looking that up, you mentioned the petticoat affair. Yes, uh, it was the Eatons, and I'm trying to yeah. think post he held, but it was that he had married his uh, wife. Secretary, Secretary of War John Eaton and his wife Peggy Eaton. That's right. And before that, she'd been Peggy Timberlake. She'd been married to like a naval, like a low, like an NCO, like a non-commissioned officer, I think. He had died somewhere overseas, and then like less than a year later, they were married, which was a big scandal. And now seems so unimportant so, so basically did, he married a, a new-ish widow yes i think it was like eight or nine months too so it wasn't i mean it was new but you know how much and how she had mourned sufficiently apparently not not for the public and then so a lot of the other cabinet wives would refuse to pay social calls or receive them as visitors or invite them to parties. And Jackson's first, um, isn't that? Is Rachel, Jackson's his wife. First, uh, yes, yes, yes. Also would not, like, did not want to invite them and all of that. 
So it was this issue of like, yeah, it's that it was a weird time where like to get by in politics, you had to sometimes be friendly to people's families <laughs> and they couldn't. So the so minister of war was like effectively barred from the official side of Washington. So did Van Buren essentially embrace, which he did embrace the Pentecost, embrace them, this couple and endeared him to Jackson. Is that how? He, yes. He embraced okay. the Eatons. Yes. He embraced the well, Eatons, which was like unpopular, except for the president who loved that. And so, you know, rose in his estimation. Okay. I think well, after also, that, uh, one of my favorite Also Van Buren, Van Buren offered to resign his cabinet position which lets uh, Jackson reorganize his cabinet and kick out all the other people who were ostracizing uh, the Eatons. And so he effectively got rid of everyone who was being mean to the Eaton family. Uh, and that's, uh, that's why Jackson likes Van Buren. Interesting. Because <laughs> he'll do, and then he'll humiliate himself. Sentence, for one Jackson's- of my favorite quotes of all time is from a 19th century historian. The political history of the last 30 years dates from the moment when the soft hand of Mr. Van Buren touched Mrs. Eaton's knocker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't oh, take me Normally that would have gotten you well. Normally that would have gotten you thrown <laughs> no, out of office, not helped you into office, but we know Jackson. Uh, today, but yeah, I, well, we know Jackson yeah, I think, was I think a this, like that. <laughs> I think this uh, this petticoat affair really exemplifies uh, Van Buren's uh, political career once he became attached to Jackson. Is that he would humiliate himself to further Jackson's goals, and that is why uh, he became so prominent. Well, thank God nobody like does his, that His presidency anymore. is basically, <laughs> <laughs> well, not for the previous president's goals. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, his presidency was basically uh, doing everything Jackson didn't have time to do and getting all the blame. Yeah, I think he was just willing to, to, he was just willing to humiliate himself. Man. Well, he certainly did that through. Yeah. Oh, I was saying, I, I agree. I think it was, Maybe not so much that he was ambitious for the office, but that he was uh, he was so willing to throw himself on on uh, Andrew Jackson's pyre that you know this is probably also why he did not he you know he was a one termer. Well, because I think it was yeah, he was he, he took was all of the unpopular things that Andrew Jackson couldn't do and kept on doing them. He somehow convinced himself that Jackson was a. Did he convince himself that Jackson was that kind of a genius, or did Jackson convince him that if he did these things, he would be considered the same kind of genius Jackson was, or Jackson thought he was? I get the sense more that he convinced himself of that. Although, you know, Andrew Jackson, very persuasive guy. Mm hmm. So I, I wonder that yeah, if that's he's a genius or if he considered him so radical, such a firebrand that he, you know. Right. In some, I, in some cases, I wonder that about our current, our current president, you know, not to bring that in, but that he's so opposite to what is expected. It's just like, it's disruptive thinking. Some people are magnetized by that, I think. 
mesmerized is the word I'm looking for, not magnetized. But. Well, certainly voters did. Um, I don't, I mean, certainly voters did with Jackson. Um, I'm trying to remember sort of some of the research we may have done on the election that brought Van Buren in, whether Van Buren, you know, did Jackson's coattails drag Van Buren over the, over the line uh, in that election to help him become president? You know, because with campaigning be, being, and, and especially because my, I mean, we we talk a little bit about some of the disastrous things Jackson did, especially economically with the gold standard and bank and the screwing around with the tariff the of abominations and the tariff of abominations, uh, all of w which was sort of setting the country down an economic road of ruin that Van Buren seemed perfectly happy to continue thinking this was going to turn out all right? Yeah, he seems to uh, roll the dice economically, or maybe the better way to put that is he seems to not choke the throttle in any way. He was just full steam on. I think that's why you see his uh, first year, right? His Panic of 1837? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, yeah. Which, I mean, the bot metal debate gets kicked down through the entire century, but... I think you'd see it come to a head there partly for that reason. It's that question of like, how unrestricted can anything be before panic ensues? When you move back over from the national sector into the private entirely, you're taking a risk. And what you're risking is that kind of a panic. And, you know, then we saw it. It was widespread unemployment. For, for several years, actually. For a bit under a decade, wasn't it? Well, um, I mean, we, we, we certainly know that Van Buren didn't do a thing to try to pull the country out, whether he could have or he didn't have the ability to is kind of an interesting question because one of the other dichotomies from, you, you go from the sort of a hardcore Southerner in Jackson to this Northern, again, this um, Dutch dude, which clearly is New York, right? Uh, or East Coast. Um, yeah. Aren't you done packing yet, George? The Clintons will be here soon. Just a moment, Poppy. I have to put the letter into the desk. Oh, it's a lovely tradition, leaving a note for the new president. Indeed. What in the world? Did you leave a book in the desk, Barbara? Of course not. Why? It, it looks rather odd. We don't have much time. I know, but look at the cover. The Diary of Martin Van Buren. Why did this pop up today, of all days? Uh, it is an obscure name to reveal itself at the end of your presidency. I know. Look at this. The book opened to the last entry, titled My Last Day... As president. You don't say. Providence. What does it say? Well, it says, damn it. Damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it all. all. Here I sit, Martin Van Buren, old kinderhook, kindly and well-respected senator from New York, now being blamed for a financial crisis that has never loosened its grip on my beloved country holding off a war with Mexico by waiting to bring Texas into the Union to the anger of all sides, 
trying to re-establish a bank with a national treasury so small that I have to sell farm equipment to keep the government working, now being mocked as being the worst president this union will ever see. My goodness. And we thought our economy was bad. Poor man. All because I listened to Andrew Jackson. Familiar indeed. These were his policies. These were his goals. These were his ideas. Yes, I know I am indebted to him because he made me vice president. Yes, I know he said that these policies could become successful if I continued them once I became president. Yes, I know I believed him and worked to the best of my ability to make them work. Sounds like something the Washington Post wrote yesterday. But But why why do do people blame me? Oops. Go on. These are not my ideas. I am merely holding the bag, as it were. And now my predecessor is bathed in a joyous light. And And I am left to clean clean up the the shit he left. Language, George. Uh, He wrote that. So here I end my presidency in ignominy and shame. May history look kindly on the man whose greatness was blunted by the man who came before. Yep, I hear you, Marty. I feel for you, too. If it's any consolation, you won't be the only president who will never get past the shadow of a president who is a legend of his own making. Or have to try to clean up the mess of a situation you knew would be a mess but pushed aside so you could become president yourself. Economics can be full of voodoo, that's for sure. Marty, all I can say is history can be kinder and gentler as it moves on. You just have to get through it. Take a walk outside. Thousands of points of light, you know. Doesn't relieve the misery of losing. Read my lips. It can get worse. Hopefully not. Let's go, dear. Shall I bring the diary with me? Kindred spirit and all? Put it on the shelf over there. Perhaps we shall have a chance to see it when we return as visitors. Good idea. This may not be the last time a bush is in the Oval Office. I know a couple of people who are crossing their fingers. Come on, Jeb! One thing that we have, with which we have not credited the great, good Mr. Van Buren, though, is he, for all intents and purposes, invented the Democratic Party. Very true. Very to true. bring as kind of as, as an electoral uh, support for you know the Jackson, for Jackson's second attempt at the presidency. So he, you know, our founding fathers disdain the kind of factionalism that political parties represented. But uh, Van Buren, being the first post-revolutionary president, represented the dawning of a new era of faction, parties, and caucuses. 
and coming off one of the most hardcore populists that were that as ever has been or was president it's sort of interesting that in some maybe i probably some would argue that in some ways van buren sort of institutionalized that factionalism maybe even that populism i think you're right to say that he invented the democratic party because certainly he helped codify it yes mm -hmm. or as he called it the democracy party because there is sound more fun <laughs> there is some sort of, yeah, I mean, there, there is some rule of thumb, or not rule of thumb, but sort of, I guess, political doggerel that in those days, the Democratic Party was more like what we would call the Republican Party, and the Republican Party is what we would call more of the Democratic Party. Or the Whigs, as or they the were. Whigs. Whigs, yes. And we will certainly be hearing more about those folks. That's another of Van Buren's distinctions. He was the first presidential candidate to lose to a Whig. <laughs> Just a stellar, a stellar administration all around. I, I hope that that's somewhere on his headstone, like as they're list, listing achievements. They're like, also first president defeated by the Whigs, a party <laughs> that no longer exists. I love a it. Party that was for Somebody all intents. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to do it. That's true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or we wouldn't have had wins. Right. I love it. Um, and then, so just uh, one other little fact trait to wrap up, because I think Paul has sort of talked and written about. Um, Van Buren sort of was a, I don't know if name dropper is the right way, but there was like a relationship with him and what you said, Washington Irving. Is that right? Paul? Yes. No. Well, yes. Washington Irving. Well, that one he came by honestly. Because Irving was, you know, they grew up in the same, I think, I don't know if Washington Irving was from Kinderhook, but he grew up in the same general area. So it's not like, you know, he attached himself to Washington Irving the way he would to a series of patrons throughout <laughs> his career. Uh, he kind of, Aaron Burr was his first real patron. And as soon as the political tide started turning against Burr, he, and Buren didn't turn out to be the most loyal friend. If he had it, his greatest talent, I think, was for seeing the next big thing and attaching himself to it. Because as he was growing up in Kinderhook, it was very federalist territory, very anti-Jeffersonian. And he was able to surmise, you know, maybe by seeing that... New York was expanding westward and soon the entire country would be too and that Jefferson was on the rise. He threw his lot in with the anti-federalists and that served him quite well. So he would always find a patron that would elevate him to the next level until he found the ultimate patron and that would be Mr. Andrew Jackson. I wanted to throw in as well, I recall reading this. <laughs> yes, pretty much. I recall reading this for a sketch I had to write about the Headless Horseman, is that uh, Ichabod Crane is allegedly based on a combination of Van Buren and the old Kinderhook, like the Kinderhook area schoolmaster. That could not be a more perfect introduction wow. to this next sketch. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad I set it up. <laughs> good, Tommy. You're well, good. Uh, yeah. Good the Headless Politician. 
Mm-hmm. Is there a sketch about a headless politician? Or... No, there's a sketch about with I mean, Washington. Maybe a spineless one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but and also speaking with sketches about headless horsemen and sketch, sketches about some nobulists, I suppose. Uh, but also, so in sort of discussing about what Van Buren a little bit, and we're transitioning into from Van Buren into Harrison with this bit. So um, as we talked a little bit about Van Buren and going from Washington Irving to all these various patrons to Andrew Jackson, it almost sounds like Van Buren was one was a president that was, or became president by trying to ride what we in the 21st century might call celebrity. Like he wasn't a celebrity himself, but he were, tried to sort of play on the reflected glory of people that he that he attached himself to. He was famous for knowing famous people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fair, yeah. Which is a shame. Well, I think it's it's maybe mm. more the political coattails rather than like fame and like celebrity. Mm. I would say because he, you know, he, he he just knows when to switch parties. Oberl, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to visit me in my hotel, Vice President Martin Van Buren. Whoa, famous author Washington Irving. Why, it's an honor. But why, it's a formal wash. It's not like I've taken on air since rising to the very summit of power and influence. You can still call me old Kinderhook, or okay for short. All right, okay. <laughs> Much better. Oh, Wash, it's good to see an old friend from New York, someone who reminds me of where I'm from. Even your fevered imagination, full as it is of headless horsemen and drowsing Dutchmen, couldn't conjure my rise from humble origins. Well, no one would call you humble now, okay? <laughs> oh, they might if they realize how infrequently I boast about my greatest accomplishment. What, those sideburns? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wash, you wag. No, I mean creating the Democratic Party to support General Jackson, a lying north and south, merchant and farmer, Wealthy white man and poor white man in a single, efficient, harmonious political organization. Oh, wouldst I could live 200 more years to proclaim the greatness and unity of the Democratic Party. Well, if anyone could talk for 200 years, it's you, okay? <laughs> Here, why don't you drink a toast to yourself? Uh, Do my eyes deceive me, or is this a bottle of Good old Catskills corn liquor. Well, you aren't fooling yourself this time, at least. <laughs> Your old constituents wanted to send a token of their esteem. Oh, oh my, that packs a punch. Uh, oh, hey, hey, uh, Mr. Whiskers, uh, wake up, uh, you gotta go. Wait, what? Where's Wash? Oh, um, El Bano is up El Sterzo. Young man, uh, why are you talking to me like I'm a simpleton when you're the one wearing your undergarments in public? 
uh, undergarments. Uh, these are my best cargo shorts. And and that legend emblazoned on your breast makes no sense. How exactly is one supposed to feel a city in Switzerland? Uh, you don't know what feel the burn means? <laughs> Have uh, you been asleep in the three years since 2016? Three years? Uh, 2016? Uh, oh, wash! Wash, you devil! Oh. Have you made me into a real-life Rip Van Winkle? Uh, are you Okay. Improbable as it seems, yes, I am okay. The sidebirds must have given me away. Huh? <laughs> so, how fares the Democratic Party in the year of our Lord, 2019? Um, well, it's, it's the only hope of America in the year of God, or whatever, uh, 2020. Of course it is. Um, I, I, I take it you plan to campaign for the Democratic presidential candidate, correct, lad? Maybe, if they nominate someone who cares about the people and not some tool of the big money interests. <laughs> How absurd. The Democratic Party was founded as a reproof to the so-called big money interests, and I've no doubt it has stayed true to its principles throughout its existence. <laughs> Haven't you heard of the Clintons? <laughs> of course I have. But George and DeWitt were federalists, not Democrats. Uh, right. Um, d dog, you you got a jet. Uh, us Bernie bros snuck in here so we could crash the Elizabeth Warren campaign rally upstairs. Uh, are there men named Elizabeth in this century? My brother was until high school. I mean, anyway, we, we gotta get in costume. We're going to go put on Native American headdresses to protest her cultural appropriation. Uh, then we're going to take a collective dump on the floor and wipe our asses with big sheets of paper that say Elizabeth Warren's plans. I've very little idea of what you're talking about, but it sounds quite unpleasant. Now, if you treat your fellow Democrats so cruelly, you'll be drummed out of the party. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. The Democrats have been at each other's throats since John F. Kennedy founded the party in 1960. <laughs> what kind of history are they teaching young people in this century? The Democratic Party started with Andrew Jackson. Wait... Andrew Jackson was a mm -hmm. Democrat? <laughs> mm -hmm. No wonder the poll party is such a hot mess. It was started by a genocidal lunatic. What a scurrilous accusation. General Jackson fought many wars, but he never once invaded Genoa. I really don't think you're okay. Humbling as it is to know I'm still famous, you can rest assured, young man, I am okay himself. Martin Van Buren! Whoa, wait, wait a second, you're Martin Van Buren? I should I hope so. I know you. I should hope so. Who did you hate more, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? Change. Nothing stays the same. Huh? But you have North and South, and we're starting to also see the West, or a West, or a form of the West, and Americans, you know, the, just the country beginning to expand, and again, as we get into some of the next few presidents, how, this, how the country expands then plays right into where slavery goes, um, 
where the political control goes and just the, the building tension. Um, where, which state, were there states, that, I'm trying to think which states came in under Van Buren? Texas came in right before his administration started. Okay. And we've been paying for it ever since. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> So he was a one, yeah, so he was a one-termer. Uh, did he run for president? Did he try, run for election? He yes, did. he did. Harrison beat him. And Harrison did beat yeah. him. Okay. So we want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but um, anybody, so let's just kind of throw open as we kind of wrap up our Van Buren discussion. Because again, some presidents you need to talk for like 35, 40 minutes on what they did. Others, not so many. Now, I think it's funny as well, because with all of that, that sort of sets the stage for Harrison's campaign. His whole campaign is run on this idea that he is not from a rich landholding family, which he absolutely was. But the whole idea was yes. that, like, ah, oh, Van Buren is this, is this very rich New Yorker. He's living in extravagance. Was it the, um, oh, what, uh, the Golden Spoon oration that someone gives about him that is, like, compares him to the ancient Romans and all of that? So we kind of, it's easy pickings for Harrison to swoop in and say, well, I lived in the West, which is, the, you know, Indiana, so the West in quotes, but mm-hmm. he'd come from that <laughs> idea that he was, uh, that he was like a log cabin American. None of that is true. But. And let's just, let's talk about that 1840 election because, you know, was there a time when an incumbent got so thoroughly trounced <laughs> by by the upcoming guy coming after him because, I mean, Harrison got got Van Buren on, like, every every count. Like, he, he had a terrible economy. He kept uh, screwing up the slavery thing. He was short and silly-looking. Uh, so much so that they Nothing put it wrong in wrong short and silly-looking, says the short and silly-looking was- guy. <laughs> But you didn't have this mutton chop. Yeah, but no one's you, written a song about, about how short and silly looking you are. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, are you the, talking about the ruffle? Not so subtle references. Ah, uh, well, just the the not so well, subtle not... references to Van Van that used up little man, and uh, oh, wow. how easy it is to beat little notes. man. I had never, I had never heard this song, but there <laughs> is a song that. Uh, Continually uses the uh, as a chorus words words and they they're talking about Harrison to say old Tip he wore a homespun coat he had no ruffled shirt but Matt he has the golden plate and he's a little squirt which is incredibly mean <laughs> what a terrible thing to say to a president that has nothing to do with politics he's <laughs> being mean now I love it okay yeah, no, it's, 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 like, been mean. there's apparently just so many things about Martin Van Buren that you can write mean songs about <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of rhymes DB Comedy presents The Electables this episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bukola Sandy Bykowski Joseph Fedorko Ramona Chouet Sylvia Mann Paul Moulton and Patrick J. Riley this episode's sketches were performed by Sandy Bykowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joey, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables podcast is by Joseph Fedorko. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.com. 
who is the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of PB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedychicago.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading.